This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Which most people should have already been on this, gone to the news feed. So you go to zupans.com, you sign up for the, the newsletter, which comes out periodically and tells you what you're going to get that's really special as mm-hmm. a good deal. As a matter of fact, uh, a sneak peek for next week, February 21st through the 23rd, 25% off lamb and veal. Oh, yeah. So if you're into lamb and Easter's, veal. Easter's coming up. I think a lot of people do lamb for Easter. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I, so, my family never did, but, but I've heard of people doing lamb for Easter. Right. And aside from that, aside from that offer for lamb and veal, often there's a free thing. Yep. That, you know, it's always nice to walk into the Zupans and say, I'm going to look for this free item. And when you check out it, doesn't cost you anything. It's pretty great. Right now, taking place through March 3rd, it's Ciao Italia, culinary journey through Italy at your local Zupans. They've got new Italian products, or Italian products, as my dad might say, uh, including pasta, tomatoes, pestos, truffles, and more uh, Italian wine. They've got uh, tasting events taking place at both the Burnside and Lake Oswego locations. And here's my favorite thing on February 22nd, and I'll make sure to get there. I know I'm going to be in town then. Um, from 11 to 3, an afternoon of Italian products sampling throughout the stores. So if you have never been to Zupan's, go on that day. Oh, yeah. And then you'll get a feel for the store and you'll eat pretty well. You got to do it. Don't forget, they got the three locations, McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and always where? Zupan's.com. Here it is, time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast with your host, Chris Angelis from Portland Food Adventures. And, and, oh, and, oh. and <laughs> I am fortunate to be sitting next to Court Johnson, and we're, I'm not quite professional enough to have that honor, but somehow I'm here. Court oh. Johnson at kink.fm. Um, you'll find him generally afternoons, but throughout the. Yeah, I do, I, do the, I do the three to seven shift. I make appearances occasionally on the morning show, and then, you know, every now and then I'm working a Sunday shift. And when when I when I when we met, you were doing the morning show. I was. So I think that I, short of middays, I've done every single shift. I've done nights. I've done mornings. I've done. Uh, I haven't done middays, but I filled in. And you know, we've never discussed this. Yeah. Okay. What were you doing in Utah at, in the business down there? I did. I was a programmer, like I am here, and I did a morning show. Is what I, okay. I left a uh, pretty successful morning show when we decided to move up here for my, wife, my wife's career. It? Was it did. It yeah. For your wife's career. So. Yeah. That that was interesting because it was very successful. How did that decision go down? Uh, well, the, as in uh, as you probably because you have a you have a history working at a radio station on the East Coast. Yes, um, there's a lot of ego involved in uh, morning radio. Oh yeah, and uh, well, I'll just say, I'll just say it. My my co-host was a dick. Right, <laughs> and so and I and I. Oh, so you're and, used so to I that? Was, oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So things uh, never change. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. You could you could be the worst person on earth, Chris, and it will never be as bad as it was. Oh, good. I always like that benchmark. Yeah. I, you know, sure. I, that's why it took me a long time to have a girlfriend. I had to find somebody <laughs> that I could, you know, uh, you just find somebody who has worse th- worse things in their <laughs> life, and then you're looking pretty good. I'm looking for, exactly. Yeah. But but I, long story short, I just did it, it. You know, greener pastures were up here in Portland. So yeah. like, I, I feel like you found them. I've enjoyed our relationship sure, yeah. for like seven years yeah. now seven years it's crazy yep um and in seven years we've seen a lot happen in the portland food scene oh yeah so many changes I, you know we should do a list one day or maybe even just uh find these episodes and release them i was thinking about this the other day of of people who have appeared on the podcast and this isn't necessarily a great list <laughs> where the restaurants have gone away Oh, you can almost do the whole first year. Sure. So that was 2014. Yeah. Not the whole year, but I've gone back to look. So we look at for in the archives for repeats. For our classic episodes. Yeah, the classic episodes, and a lot of them are. Yeah. A lot of them are not. The even restaurants are good. The, the chef has moved on to a different spot. We've or we've a had times. City. We've had times where the chef has moved on to a different spot. Like a week after we did recorded the well, episode. How about the one where we, <laughs> while we were recording it, the chef knew he was leaving, right. and he's talking it, about the restaurant the entire time. Yeah. And then I was like, you couldn't tell us you were leaving? Well, right. it, was, it was secret. So when we did the whole podcast. Yeah. Anyway, Good so times. a lot has happened, but the point is that 
there are a lot of chefs mm-hmm. and a lot of restaurant owners that have started and moved on. In this case, in this episode, it's kind of a it's a the perfect Portland restaurant story of someone who came who had an idea mm-hmm. and came from Seattle actually to open a food cart here. Right. Um, and that did very well, and it was based on, you know, a fried egg sandwich. Yep. Um, and he could do that really well and found some different variations that had themes for names that kind of caught on yeah. and did so well. He's got uh, Brick and Mortar just celebrating first year of Fried Egg I'm in Love, mm-hmm. uh, Jace Krause, and uh, it's kind of an interesting story. As with many Portland food stories, it involves an interest in music. Right. So here was a guy who was sitting in a, a cubicle, more or less, and decided he wanted to do something more creative, and the opportunity arose and moved down from Seattle to Portland, a little more easier to live here as, um, and starting a family. Sure. Um, and that's what's happened over time, is from a great idea to food cart that kind of took off to brick and mortar, still has a food cart as well. Yeah, and in fact, I will tell you that I enjoyed listening to this podcast so much. Immediately after we interviewed Jace, I walked down to their cart location at uh, Pioneer Courthouse Square mm-hmm. and bought myself the Yoko Ono sandwich. And how was that? It's good. It's got pesto on it, which which uh, was. We couldn't figure out why that. Uh, I thought I thought it would be something a little more Japanese oriented. There's nope. no pesto involved. No, nope. but I, uh, but it's a great name. Yeah, it's the Yoko Ono. Yeah, well, and so is Fried Egg I'm in Love. It's pretty easy to yes, remember. sure. So uh, we assume that after this episode that one will remember it and hopefully remember Jace and uh, go down and say hello to him if he happens to be at one of those two locations. Right. Right at the Fork is brought to you by the Toro Bravo, Inc. Restaurant Group. Serving Portland since 2007 at Toro Bravo, Mediterranean Exploration Company, Tasty and Alder, Tasty and Daughters, Shalom Y'all, Bless Your Heart Burgers, and Gastronomic Society and Event Space, Plaza del Toro. For restaurant and event information, visit torobravoinc.com. Dupan's Markets, inspiring you with the best in food and wine. Local, family-owned Zupan's Markets provides a unique grocery shopping experience for Portland food lovers. Excellent products sourced locally and from around the globe with delicious chef-prepared meals for your convenience on West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Visit Zupans.com and sign up for your exclusive deals and promotional offers. Ringside Hospitality Group. Owned by the Peterson family for 75 years, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a Portland landmark, famous for its steaks, world-renowned onion rings, and unsurpassed service. And now, with extended happy hours, where you can enjoy a wide array of dishes on the bar menu for half off. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and make a reservation today. And by Portland Food Adventures. Join right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for once-in-a-lifetime luxury food and wine vacations with his Portland chef and artisan friends in 2020. Urdaneta's Javier Canteras takes you to magical Spanish Basque country for 10 days in April or explore beautiful and rustic Western Sicily in October. Contact Chris Angeles through portlandfoodadventures.com. In a way, that made, I'll tell you, it made it a little easier. Headphones? Not the headphones, no. Oh. Single parenting? Yeah. Because the bucks that you just knew. Yeah. And there was no sharing with, a, uh, with uh, my ex-wife, so it was all me. Yeah. That was cool. There's no like... Hey, can we do this? And you're like, yeah. And then you're like, wait, I said they couldn't do that. Oh, that's how video <laughs> games came into their lives because I was adamantly opposed to this. This is a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, adamantly opposed to it. And that was one of the first things that happened after the divorce. They came home with Game Boys. I'm like, what the? F-? We, <laughs> we yeah. talked about not doing this yet because once, the, the, once that floodgate opened, it was oh, yeah. over with. We're, we're doing that now with my son. He's like getting into games and... All of his friends have, you know, an Xbox or a PlayStation, and we have one of the old school Nintendos that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just we're we're doing little bits, and I don't know what's the protocol now with cell phones and kids that age. I never had to deal with that. There it was sounds not like a- you know, twelve, thirteen is kind of when people are have been giving their kids phones. Um. He's, my son's really pushing for one. 
And he's we, the older one? Yeah. The son's older? Yeah. And he's like, my friends have one. And, you know, there's always that. Um, I said that, you know, we could try to... I, I actually have an old phone that he can just play games on and listen to music on. So I'm like, well, you know, we can, like, try this out. You can carry this around. But then he wants his own phone, like, to call his own, to take care of. <laughs> to text. Yeah. So that you can't take it back and see... What was going yeah. on? Um, that's a hard call. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, right? So you are raising two kids and you've got a busy thing going on. So you have a cart and a restaurant. Yeah. Correct. And um, you're down at Pioneer Square. That's right. Right down the street. With Don Salomon. Yeah. My buddy. Yeah. So um, how's that going for you? Uh, the downtown cart's going amazingly. Like we had just a killer year this last year. The first year was, you know, working out the kinks and stuff. But um, uh, this last year was just incredible. Like I couldn't believe how, how, how busy they were and how many sandwiches they were selling. And um, the, they're doing numbers that have exceeded our original cart over on Hawthorne. So how did you, there, I would imagine that a lot of cart owners would aspire to be at that location, that's like the primo location. If you, when you talk about food yeah. carts in Portland, primo location, what does it take to get in Pioneer Square? Well, I got to thank um, Nick from Cure Juices. Mm-hmm. Um, those, he he's tipped, me out, tipped me off to the fact that they were putting carts there to begin with. I didn't even know about it. Uh, he sent me like a news article and I did a little more research and found out they were accepting applications. And I, we submitted an application and it was just like, there had to be 600, I don't know know how many hundreds of applications I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I think the criteria was they wanted something that really represented Portland, um, something unique, not just like a generic, I don't know, you know, different cuisine. You know, there's a lot of food carts that are just like, Oh, they're taco cart, Thai cart, whatever. I think they wanted something that like, really said Portland. Um, and what I, about a fried egg says Portland? Um, I think it's more about just our whole brand and our presence. And we're just, we're, we started it. I started the food cart just on this hunch that I think I, I thought I would like doing it. I, I thought I would like cooking and kind of being outside a little bit. Um, and you came from a sales background, right? Uh, that was my partner. Oh, that was your partner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had more of a communication, journalism, media, music background. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I did cook in high school at a pizza bar and grill, though. That's kind of where I picked up kind of my initial skill set mm-hmm. of being in the kitchen. But, but that was 10 Seattle, years before. And then you decided to come down to Portland. Yeah. I did read some, but my, I guess my, uh, my attention span, I'm ADD. It was long. I misread that. <laughs> oh, it's all right. I can, I can take the time to read it, but I'm sorry. I miss misunderstood that but you wanted to do something different than you were doing and i was in the corporate world i was doing like content writing and editing for mm -hmm. expedia.com up in seattle um we had just had our first kid my wife and i and my wife is from portland so we were coming down to portland a lot um i felt pretty familiar with the city for having not lived here and after we had our first child um we realized that um, living in Seattle was kind of becoming tough because we couldn't afford to buy a place of our own. Um, each, we each were commuting like an hour to work and back and it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't the same <laughs> like it was when we started out there in our mid twenties and it was just, you know, go out and do things and, um, no, not the same responsibilities. Yeah. And we were the first couple and kind of our group of friends to have a kid so like it was a little kind of lonely actually we just we didn't have a lot of people we knew who had kids at the time because we we were a little on the younger side i guess in in terms of our friends group and so do you feel so how long did you move down to portland 2011 okay do you feel maybe that's getting a little feeling a little seattle it's feeling a little in terms of uh, it's not as easy to live here as it was maybe and the costs are getting a little higher. Are you feeling some of the same things you saw? I definitely see a little of that, but like I was just in Seattle t- yesterday. Um, I still go up there quite a bit to see friends and hang out. 
And um, it's it's a different city for sure. Um, I used to think when I lived in Seattle, I thought Portland and Seattle were very similar and Portland was just like Seattle's one. little sister or right. something like that. But having lived here, I'm like, no, they're, they're really different. Um, how would you, how would you describe that to someone who's not even from the Pacific Northwest? Who doesn't know these two cities? Oh, i kind of usually describe it in the sense that like Seattle's a little more like corporate like down to business and Portland's a little more playful, quirky, um, a little more, way more laid back. Um, like my friend that lives up there, was just says like everyone up there is like in tech. And I just, that's not how I remembered it because I was really involved in the music scene. I just remember being with a lot of creatives, but I mean, now that I'm, we're in a different part of our life, maybe that is kind of true. Um, since I left, you know, Amazon just exploded up there. And so I think that's a big part of the culture up there now. And there's, it's tough for artists to live up there. Um, I think it's tough in Portland too, and it's getting tougher, but I think it's still more, much more livable city than mm -hmm. Seattle. And I'm glad we, I'm glad we made the move and I'm glad we, we ended up getting a house um, within the first year or so that we lived here. And it, You're I'm in. glad we did it when we did it. Yeah. That was a good timing. Cause Even now, that, was, that would be a little tougher. Yeah. That was a stressful year. That was, we opened the business that year. Bought a house that year. It's a stressful year, 2012. Uh, yeah, well, everybody experiences different things at different times yeah. in their life. So, um, But it was an interesting time in the food world. It was really starting yeah. to blossom then, and now it's contracting. I think it's contracting a little bit. So yeah, there aren't I, I as agree. many, you know, to open a food cart, there aren't as many pods now. Mm -hmm. um, and then to open your a restaurant takes more. Yeah. Than it took. So um, what would you say to someone who came to you because you've seen some success who wants to, wanted to open a food cart? Um, I have, people have asked me, mm -hmm. I'm not the guy to ask, but I've said if, if you have a family and you want to spend time with them and you want to, if you're on your way to somewhere else, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. Yeah. Then it's something, but as a full time, this is what you're going to do for your life. That's a tough, tough one. Unless you're single. I think, or just not don't have kids. Yeah. Let's spend time with them. Is that a, I think that's pretty accurate. accurate. I, we had a couple things that worked out in our favor. Um, in hindsight, like I didn't know any of this at the time, but it's just in hindsight, as I reflect on it, um, we had a lot of things that worked out in our favor. Um, I, I did have a partner when I started the cart and that was really helpful. I didn't feel like I was totally alone in it and it felt like I had someone to help and, bounce ideas off of um that being said that also meant that there was less money to split between the two of us at the end so that first year was pretty uh, outside of like the summertime which was pretty great um it was pretty tough to make it through that first year and did you ever think of quitting um no because i didn't want to go back to uh sitting sitting at a desk mm -hmm. in a big office building because i just was like i, I can't go back to that at was least, it a cube it was like an open cube yeah but i had a i had a great view actually i could had a view of mount rainier which was pretty nice mm -hmm. and as far as jobs go like it was actually not that bad it was just i just wanted something different and um but even, i actually but learned a lot there if you're struggling and the numbers aren't penciling out in year one yeah can you first of all you have to have the resources to get through to your too yeah but did you ever say i don't know how how's this gonna work um almost every winter we <laughs> like around late january february it there was like every winter there was moments where i was like really panicking and thinking we weren't gonna make it but then as soon as march hits things kind of turn around and uh and both of our wives were working so that kind of helped out so it was like it was pretty tough those the first year for sure a little less so the second year and by the third year we kind of had it figured out that hey you got to save a lot of money during the summer so you can kind of like eke through the winter um and we knew when you know what things to uh cut back on in the winter just to try and cut costs and slim down and by the third and fourth year like we kind of had the flow going that's good so t tell the uninitiated what fried egg i'm in love is all about what they can expect um, Friday, I'm in love serves breakfast, breakfast sandwiches to be specific. 
um, fried egg sandwiches. They all have punny names based on music references. And um, it was really just started as just a crazy idea I had. And I chased it down. And it kind of turned out that people really liked the food and kept coming back and told their friends. And after a couple years, it kind of started to take on a life of its own. So what comes first, the food or the music reference? Do you, do you <laughs> attach food to, hey, I love this line, I got I to gotta build something around this? Yeah, that happens a lot now. Um, when we first started, I had like the sandwiches. I came up with the recipes for each sandwich first, and then I came up with myself and uh, some friends, some of my clever friends, we came up with just as many egg puns as we could think of. And then just assign them out based on like the funniest ones. But then since then, it's it's usually based on like one of the ingredients or just someone. Um, just recently, we had one called Semi-Parmed Life, which is a reference to Semi-Charmed Life, mm-hmm. Third Eye Blind, a 90s pop band. And um, that one was just like we came with a name first and then came up with uh, like an eggplant parmesan sandwich. Do you have a name. list of names that are waiting for... To, to be attached? Yeah, at the shop, they people are always writing down ideas. And some of them just don't sound like they would make a very good sandwich, but they're still funny. Mm-hmm. I wish I could think of one of those right now. So what are some of the, the more popular sandwiches that you have with names? Just to, Well, our most popular is a Yoko Ono. Okay. And that, that, there I know. I, I was worried yeah. that I wasn't going to know that it was too... New and I wouldn't know, but Yoko Ono. Yeah, that's been that's always been the most popular. It's a pesto sausage and parmesan. Why and did fried she egg Why sandwich. did she get pesto and parmesan? I don't know exactly. I think I it. I think the Ono part just sound like sounded like one, and it was just like our best. It was like our number one sandwich, and maybe that had something to do with it, or we just thought it was one of the funnier puns. I thought it might have like an Asian bent, that sandwich. That's what I would think. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I wish I could go back and like remember why exactly I signed that name to that sandwich. But, but it worked. That's good. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what else? What else do you have there? Um, the free range against the machine. Okay. Um, egg Zeppelin. That's oh, yeah. our big sandwich. And what's that? That's um, a double sausage, double egg, double cheese, and it's got a spicy aioli on it. Nice. And I, when I came up with the menu, I thought, oh, we have to have like a big sandwich. I'm sure not many people will get it because it's just like kind of ridiculous, but uh, it turns out it's like one of our most popular items and people like to go for that stuff. So do, uh, are people ordering because of the music or because you think that draws them in first? I got to have this. I can see people saying... It's just the name, no matter what it's, ingredients are in that sandwich, I could see them doing that. At first, when we just popped up on Hawthorne as a cart, you would just get people walking by like, what, what is this? What are you guys doing? And um, my partner, Ryan, he's just got the sales background and he's just, he's a talker. He's a, he's a bullshitter. And he, he just would start talking to people and tell them what we were doing and He'd get him to order a sandwich and I'd cook it up and send it out. And they were like, this is the best breakfast sandwich I've ever had. And they'd come back, you know, the next day with a friend or something like that. And that's just really how it started. So the name, we, it's a big yellow cart and the names are funny. So I think that initially got people to check us out and stop by. But it's, it's the food that brings them back, I think, for sure. And that has translated to a restaurant now. Yeah. So um, that... I assume that was your original goal going into the. It wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. Um, I, I thought that sounded too, like I had no idea how how I would wrap my head around doing a restaurant. Um, I had never started a business before, so just doing the food cart was just stretching my abilities a bit. And um, once we got about a year into the food cart, I felt like I'd kind of had a better grasp on it. But I mean, I was, I was doing all the books in Excel spreadsheets, um, which in hindsight I shouldn't have been doing, but that's, well, you got to learn and yeah, go, go somewhere. But 
I would imagine it's a daunting thing for someone who was in you know a business in Seattle to come down and th- even think about the economics and the business aspects of running a cart, much mm-hmm. less, holy shit, I got employees and payroll and all that stuff at a restaurant. Yeah. It all just scaled up slowly. And I think that's, that's what made it doable. Um, at first I just, it was just like one step at a time. Um, find a cart, find a space, you know, make the menu, try the menu out with some friends. Um, get the right equipment. The, the card actually came equipped with everything we needed to get started. And, um, it, it's a pretty simple thing. Like you buy the food, you prep it, you cook it, you sell it. And at the end of the day, like you're really just, you buy food at one price, you raise the price as, as you put it together and sell it. And that I could wrap my head around that. And we never lost money. We didn't make a lot of money, but we never lost money the first, the first year. So I was pretty proud about that. You know, there were some months where we maybe only made a few hundred dollars, but between two people, no, like total, total. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 Split it between two people. Yeah. There was, and how we paid ourselves was just, um, eggs. All right. Here is what, here is what we, we spent this month. Here's what we made. What's the difference. And then we split it up. And um, I think at the time we still had a little saved up from our initial launch because we each like put in 5,000 bucks. I mean, I started the business with $5,000 that I just saved up. You couldn't do that anywhere in Seattle. No. It'd be crazy. No. So do you remember when you had your first like, holy shit month, we did like, this is respectable. Yeah. It's, it's funny looking back. Like um, we used to think, um, I mean like having like make selling like $500 in a day used to be like a great milestone. And then we doing breakfast, you know, weekends are always, we'd learn really quickly that like weekends are just like two or three times what you're doing on like a Wednesday. Um, so you kind of live for those weekends cause those are your big moneymaker days. And like the first time we hit like a thousand dollars in sales for the day, that was a big milestone. And then that just, that was like our goal for like a typical weekend day. Um, and then, you know, by the time we were, by the time we were leaving the cart and to the restaurant, you know, we were doing like 2,500 to 3,000 on a weekend and that, that seemed like really good to us too. And then now the restaurant's even higher. So it's just like, you just scale up and you start with one employee and you figure that out and then you maybe need another employee. So it all happened really slowly and I had time to figure stuff out along the way. And that's really how I learned. That's Just learning cool. on the job. Hey, Chris, let's talk about Toro Bravo, Inc., the great restaurant group right here in Portland. Right, which also includes Toro Bravo. Toro Bravo, Tasty and Daughters, Tasty and Alder. Uh, you've got the Mediterranean Exploration Company. I've got reservations for that at the end of the month. I'm excited. Shalom, y'all. Bless your heart burgers and... Plaza del Toro. Yeah, you were so, just there last night. Yeah, so um, anyone who's familiar... The uh, Plaza del Toro is a beautiful restaurant space. It used to be on the east side. They just opened up the new location in the Pearl, which is, for those of you who have been here a while, you might remember the old Trader Vic space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went, uh, not only their opening party on Thursday night, um, it's a gigantic space. It's, it accommodates a lot of people, so yeah. it's great for weddings and so forth, and um uh, local collaboration dinners. Big corporate parties. Big corporate parties. But I went last night. They did their first. I actually, I thought it was their first, but it wasn't. They had done, they snuck one in. They're so busy mm. over there. They snuck one in. But it was, uh, they brought over Wanho from, uh, Wanho Canals from Madrid, uh, from Connemore. Oh, nice. To do a, a, a dinner. Um, and they they uh, indicated there was an intimate dinner with Wanho Canals, and it was. It was 20 people oh, wow. in a space that usually accommodates at a dinner like that, 60, 80. And you know it's going to be well done when it's one of John Gorham's restaurants, John and Renee Gorham's restaurants, and right. their whole team. Yeah. Uh, you know it's going to be a great event. So last night was delicious. I really enjoyed everything, and their hospitality is second to none. We know the food is great. So pretty much, no matter what your dining occasion is going to be, 
Toro Bravo Inc. got you covered. Yeah, go there and oh, make sure you're on their news from the bullring mm-hmm. email list, and then you're going to find out about these dinners, and you're going to find out about what's going on, and you can make reservations at many of Toro Bravo Inc. restaurants now, which are, uh, a couple of years ago you couldn't have a right. year ago. Just v- very nice and convenient. ToroBravoInc.com is the website where you can get signed up for all of that. Have you had any, uh, some notable press, national press coming around? Because Portland draws those mm-hmm. folks. Yeah, we've that had... That must be exciting for you. I got to meet Andrew Zimmern a couple years ago. That was pretty cool. We mm-hmm. didn't end up on the show he was doing, but he was in Portland shooting a bunch of um, spots. And one day, like, there was this camera crew outside our cart. I think they were just shooting B-roll and I just introduced myself and gave them some food. And then they were like, oh, we were just shooting some B-roll, but maybe we'll come back here tomorrow. And they did. Um, So that was pretty cool. Um, We've also, um, Fred Armisen from uh, Portlandia, he he wrote an article in The Guardian about Portland. And he, he like name dropped us at the end of the article. So that was pretty cool. That was, that was a few years ago. Um... And have you met yeah. a lot of the people in the chef community? Because the reason yeah. we were connected is I asked Aaron, er, Eric Van Clay at Arden now, who been Little Bird and uh, Taylor Railworks at his own restaurant, um, what are his favorite places? And he said, hands down, he's a regular at your place. So, and I I don't know if I know I don't know if I've met him. So now I want to meet crazy. this guy. So or how often are you in the? Are you, well, you have two locations, so he could be. Uh, at either one of those. Yeah, I'm not sure. If he's downtown, he might he might be going to the downtown one. All right, but well, I don't know. I'll tell him to say hello. Um, yeah, I bounce around a lot now that we have um, two locations, soon to be three locations. And um, I, I kind of, I used to cook every, I, you know, when we first opened, I was cooking. If the cart was open, I had to be cooking because we didn't have any other cooks. My partner didn't really cook, but over time he learned he learned how to do it. So then he was cooking by the second year and then we had a couple employees by the um, end of the food cart days, or I should say before we opened up the cart downtown, I was still cooking 3 days a week and then doing administrative stuff the other days. And then when we had two food carts, I just transitioned out of cooking and was just like fully managing it all. So I don't Aside from like an emergency or something, I don't hop on the grill much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you can. I kind of like the idea of your partner out there being the front man and yeah. bringing people in and you're cooking. I always thought it would, I don't know if it would or not, but I always thought it would make it with the right person. Because I remember years ago, knowing this guy, James, who had Euro trash food cart remember, years yeah, ago. Yeah. And I always told him, you need to put a camera out here and just record the, the <laughs> shit that goes on outside of your cart. It would be a fun reality show or at least yeah. a good webcam. Um, we we had a really fun time um, working together those years because um, it never felt like work. Even though even though it was our job and we just we just always had such a good time. And I think that probably showed and I think I think that probably really helped us um gain customers because it's just like a fun spot to go to the two guys that ran it were kind of kooky and um yeah i have a lot so of did that did that dine- how long ago did he leave um, his name is ryan lynch okay yeah so we met he was we met through some musician friends and then he i was in seattle he was in california he moved to portland around the time about a year before i moved here and we were chatting a lot about you know, me moving down here and playing music. And so we moved down here and we were playing, playing a lot of music in those early days. We would even bring our guitars to the cart because we would stay open no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. we would keep our hours and we would, there'd be hours where we might not have a customer. We have our guitars and we wrote a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, he, his wife also works with us and still does, but I bought out his part of the business right before we, went into two carts and he's he i don't think he originally intended to be involved as long as he did mm-hmm. but um he he's gonna be going back to engineering he wants to get his engineering degree or um electrical engineering well that's good he's working on that so you're know. still buds you're part yeah. of so 
Was that something you initiated that you said, I want to own this because it was more profitable at some point to, yeah. to not be splitting everything two ways? I would yeah. Think. Well, I mean, by the, by the third year, we were both paying ourselves like a livable salary and it was good, but, um, I, I like to hear that because I yeah. don't always know that with food carts, whether people can sustain themselves, but you were one of the more popular ones in mm-hmm. town, as I understand it. The numbers are pretty, I uh, like when I think about starting a brand new concept food cart right now, kind of like, I, I don't think I would want to do that. It just sounds, it, I know how hard it is. I drive around and I see carts that pop up here and there and I'm just like, you have to have a lot of customers to make the numbers work out. Um, it's really, it's really like volume based. Um, and then we were lucky cause we did breakfast. So like the weekends are just, people want breakfast on the weekends and a food cart to a lot of people sounds better than going and sitting and waiting at a restaurant for, you know, 30, 45 minutes to get a table. And then you sit down and then you do the whole brunch thing and it, it ends up being two hours or something. And, so, you know, we were a place where people could get a quicker breakfast and those weekends, like we, we live in and di- we lived and died by our, our weekends in those days. And now like we've built up enough regulars where it's, it's still like our weekends are definitely way busier than weekdays, but like our weekdays are, are busy enough to keep us busy and keep the lights on and all that. So have you, uh, the, the food world here, I think is changing. A yeah, bit. for sure. And you're a really young guy. Have you looked like 10, 20 years from now and thought whether that's what you want to be doing or what's your, what's your, um, yeah, I think I kind of consider myself more of, um, an entrepreneurial business kind of guy now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think cooking was just a means for me to get a business going and it was a skill I had that I could turn into a business and it took off. And so I, I like recognized all that and just saw like, there's a formula to what we were doing and that the formula could be replicated and repeated. And so it's just a matter of, you know, how, how many times do you want to repeat it and take it other places? And I've just gone with opportunities that come along that sound cool. Like the, the downtown cart. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the restaurant really just, it was very happenstance how that happened, how we got into that space. So and, that wasn't your goal at the time to find a restaurant. It just oh yeah, you asked me that. the 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 restaurant just sounded like too much work when we first started. Mm-hmm. But as we got into like the third or fourth year, I realized like there was kind of a ceiling in the food cart, and we were totally running out of space. Like even in the early days, our fridges would be full of food, and after a busy day, you'd just be cleaned out. And it's like now you got to go to cash and carry and buy a bunch of stuff and like prep everything. Um, so having more space meant being able to prep more food and store it and not have to be like prepping and starting over every single day. Um, it is more of like a rolling prep schedule where like you just make stuff as it runs out. You're going through it throughout the week. Um, we actually started to store stuff outside the cart. We built like a fenced area where we could have another fridge and freezer. Where was that? susceptible to vandalism because oh yeah worry about that or did it get vandalized yeah i mean vandalism and burglary are just like a constant thing with food carts and people are getting broken into all the time you're you're getting propane tanks stolen you're getting power cords cut and stolen is pretty stressful because you know you just you go home at night and then you come in the morning and just someone broke into your cart or stole something valuable and no matter every time that happens you like beef up security but then you know they figure out a way around it and then you beef up security again and it was just never ending do you have any uh suggestions for the city (laughs) i mean being a victim of this so often i see it all the time and it seems very frustrating to me that yeah yeah and it's got to be expensive yeah. Even with insurance, you still have to stop. You're out of business for a little while while you're fixing things. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that we never had anything big enough to where we could really tap into our insurance. It was like, you know, the deductibles, probably like a thousand bucks. So a lot of stuff is pretty petty and it's, you know, it's usually like a few hundred bucks, maybe more. So it was just never enough to 
get help from insurance on that and and then once you made a claim your premium goes up yeah on top of it i don't think we've ever had to make an insurance claim (laughs) yeah and that kind of sucks because that's not the reason behind it you want to get some help when you need it yeah did you ever have so you came out down here were you did you talk to some food cart owners before you opened or while you were Mm -hmm. going through the learning process while it was open did you was there like a little consortium of of you guys and girl gals that would talk and yeah exchange information um the the first one I think of is Big Ass Sandwiches. Do you remember them? Yeah. Yeah. So we knew them. Lisa worked. She used to live in Seattle as well and worked at KXB, um, the radio station, which is the really great radio station up in Seattle. So I kind of knew of her. And then we had a mutual friend. And so I just showed up at their cart one day. And I think they were really blowing up at the time. So there's like a huge line. And I was like bugging them during a rush. But... Um, they were really helpful. I got their number. We, we chatted a lot in those early days and I had a lot of questions. Um, also the person I, um, was initially, we were renting the food cart or leasing to own the food cart from someone and they were running, um, it was a Timber's dog house. It was like burgers and tots and stuff. And I remember that. Yeah. She's really helpful. Um, carte blanche was right next door to us and so like we i felt like we kind of like came up at the same time and um you know we help each other out what else well there were yeah there's a a few it's a what struck me when i first got here Mm -hmm. um was how collaborative and how supportive everybody was absolutely not only are there collaborations and that happened later i saw with chefs doing dinners but Everybody would help one another, mm-hmm. which coming from the East Coast, you didn't see that much. You did not hear someone saying, go to that pizza place across the street. That was just never happened. And then he, I came out here and you'd hear a lot of people, oh, go there. You got to go here. And yeah. I think it's what make it's one of the ingredients aside from ingredients, <laughs> um, you know, the resourcing, the sourcing here. But it's one of the ingredients that has made this food scene pretty cool. Do you still experience that? I mean, yeah. here we have Eric. I'm surprised that he, you don't know him because he has been there. But here we have Eric. You know, what I do with what I, with Portland Food Adventures anyways, we have people recommend other places. Mm-hmm. And that's how we all meet people. So I want people to be able to come to a dinner and then because of Eric go to Friday, I'm in love. Yeah, I like that. You wouldn't see that anywhere. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we... I was struck by that too. And I, I think in those early days I was going to a lot of food carts just to do research and I would always chat, chat up the owner and you know, you get chatting a little bit and you kind of can tell if whether or not they want to talk much, but yeah, just everyone was really friendly and helpful. I didn't, I didn't really encounter anyone that was super competitive or, you know, was a jerk or anything like that. And I try to return that favor too. And whenever people ask for, my advice on food cart stuff. I'm happy to help out. I even think about, you know, maybe consulting or something or helping out. Yeah. I would think there's a, I, I, there have to be people who do that, but, um, I don't hear about it a lot. You know, you know, it's a pretty niche thing, but I think just, um, I'm like, I'm on a Facebook group with a bunch of food cart owners and I just, I answer questions a lot of the time. People are always asking like, what should I do with this thing? Or how do you guys do this? And I often chime in on that group and feel like I have a few things to, to, to impart. Do you have some, um, either favorite food carts or restaurants that you, uh, have identified in Portland that when uh, the way I identify them is when people come into town, which ones I'm going to recommend. And then there are those that I recommend if someone's only going to be here for one day or they're here for a week, you got to go, Check this place out. Yeah, I and they're always changing. Um, and it depends on some, what someone's looking for, too. Yeah, yeah. Like right now, I love Hot Yai because they just opened up in Southeast and mm-hmm. before they were in North, and I'd only been there like once or twice, but now they're in Southeast. I'm like finding myself going there a lot. Um, and then like I think last year I was going to a Fury a lot. Um, I love, I eat gluten-free, so like Asian food is always kind of 
naturally gluten-free for me, or at least, you know, more Southeast Asian food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I eat a lot of that, a lot of Vietnamese and Thai food. Um, so how does that work with eating at your own restaurant? Because you you're fairly bready there, I would yeah. imagine. Well, I, I did have to try the bread, <laughs> the, the real bread, back in the day when we were starting. And, and I used to be a little more lax about it, but um, more recently I've had more health issues and I just have realized I just got to be strict about it but yeah we have gluten-free bread so if you're gluten-free you can get a really good breakfast sandwich and one of the things i prided myself on was having a really good gluten-free sandwich that wasn't just kind of like an afterthought like it was we make it just as good as the other ones the bread is toasted um i worked really hard to find a bread that works the same way that our regular bread works and after we've we've switched gluten-free breads a ton of times but i finally found this one that's just like it's the best um it works exactly how our normal bread works and so i'm really proud about that like we sell so much gluten-free bread it's crazy are you at liberty to say where you source that or uh... yeah it's um i'd be happy to it's canyon bakehouse it's out of colorado Oh, okay. And we were using um, we were using New Cascadia here in town a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going back and forth. Um, we've used Udi's in the past, but a lot of it came down to like the size. Like a lot of gluten free bread is smaller, but we found this Canyon Bakehouse. It's like the same exact size as our regular bread, and I think, and it's a little lighter. New Cascadia is good. I love their stuff. I go there all the time, um, but their sandwich bread is a little heavier and denser. And we just found this bread kind of by chance one time it was in like the freezer section at winco mm-hmm. and we just like i'm always trying out new gluten-free products and i tried it out and i was like well this is actually really good um now they call me every two weeks and i order you know eight to ten cases and it shows up and we we throw a lot of it in the freezer because we stock up on it we sell so much of it and i can't get that quantity in town like so um yeah, it's just really good. When you were uh, growing up, did you ever imagine you'd be sitting here in a studio in Portland, Oregon, talking about <laughs> sourcing um, gluten-free bread in, from a uh, Denver bakery in Portland, Oregon? No. No, I or didn't. Colorado bakery? Yeah. Um, what, I, were you, what were you into as a kid? What did you think you were going to do? Uh, well, I was, I've, I've always been into music. I still, I still write songs, and I... I don't play in bands so much anymore, but I do a lot of collaborations and recording sessions with friends. And so music has always been a big part of my life. I always, I was in bands in my twenties up in Seattle. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be like a musician. It was a thing to do there. Yeah. Um, but I always had the day job and, you know, um, eventually the band broke up and I had a kid and it just was like, you got to figure something else out. Cause I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> it's a long shot. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, I learned a lot and met so many awesome people that I'm still friends with a lot of good people in the music community. So, um, I worked at a restaurant in high school and the owner of that restaurant just seemed like everyone in like, I grew up in a small town in Montana and just looking around town, like the guys that I kind of admired all had businesses. And so I always did kind of want to, like, I wanted to have a business, but I didn't study business in in college, and um, where'd you go to school? Pacific Lutheran in mm-hmm. Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied journalism, media, uh, music. That's what I did. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> like I was actually admiring the tape machines over there. I kind of they still I'm exist. Jealous. Yeah, it's, I w- it's pretty crazy. I bet you could make an offer. I don't think yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're still used. Yeah, I would. We should talk about that later. It's not me. I'm not the. I'm okay. not the guy. Court's the guy to ask that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I secretly want to tape a reel to reel to record on at home, but that's another that's another thing. So, what music are you listening to now? Not that I'm going to know who everybody is, but so who are your favorite bands? Oh, I don't really have favorite bands anymore. I mean, like I just listen to a well, lot of different Spotify? stuff. Is it Spotify? Yeah. To? What's on I mean, Wilco is probably one of my favorite bands. Oh, cool. Built There's one spill. that's on my Spotify, too. Yeah. I was surprised. We have a little age difference between us, so I was glad to see. Yeah, yeah I've, I've actually followed them for a while. I discovered them, I don't know, in the late 90s or something. There was um, like a radio compilation CD. 
out of out of Denver actually that my um great gluten help. gluten-free bread and co- yeah. compilation CDs. And um you know, I who is this band and I grew up in a small town and so there's just not a lot of like stuff coming through town. I didn't hear this is right how, as the internet was happening, so how big was the town you grew up in? What was it? About like 4,000 4 or 5,000 people. Oh, it's okay. called Sydney, Montana or northeastern corner of Montana. Okay, no, I haven't been there. That's yeah. a little that's a little chilly. Yeah, it gets pretty chilly in the winter mm-hmm. and windy. It's windy all year long, really. Was hot, that a place that most of the kids growing up there wanted to get out of? Or, or <sighs> and what are they yeah, doing? What so. are they doing now? What are your What are the kids you grew up with? What are they up to now? Um, it's funny. The crew of guys that I hung out with, almost all of them are now running their own business. So that's funny. There or did they move? No, just in different places. So they got out. Yeah, it's hard to to, to live a whole life in a. <laughs> Northeast Montana. Yeah, Nothing but some people it, grew up but, there. It's tough. Some families were there for generations of and course. just like I I still um a lot of people that I graduated with are are still there and I'm actually going back in June for a twenty year reunion. So that's a good I time been to, go, there to go back in to ten that years. area. I had a friend from Bozeman, so yeah, it's Bozeman. beautiful. But I would imagine that most of the people um uh, there where you grew up they came from there because I don't think there are a lot of people flocking in maybe around yeah. the oil boom in North Dakota yeah. a few years ago. But yeah, definitely. We we're right. We we're right in that oil boom area. And just, that's all gone now, right? Completely. No, it's just scaled back. I think from what I've heard, but they're not, but it was booming like about 10 years ago. I think it was booming pretty big. Yeah. Or even less than that. But yeah, I had, I heard about people flying there, leaving their families to go make. Yeah. $150,000 a year just yeah. freezing their asses off doing that. Yeah, there's a lot of um, interesting stories that happened during the boom. There's like whole camps, they call them man camps, mm-hmm. that are just rows of trailers out on the prairie that people fly in and they make, they work for two weeks straight and then they leave for two weeks and they maybe go back home to their families and they come back two weeks later and repeat are they still doing that i thought that was i thought those days were gone well i think it's scaled back because i still you know there's still oil production happening there but i think it all goes with uh, global oil prices you Mm -hmm. know i think when the prices are high it makes sense to really go to go to town in that area and then when the prices are lower i think it's more expensive to get the oil out of that area i don't know a lot about that process but based on what i know it's um it's more expensive in that area to get oil so it kind of only makes sense when oil prices. And you have to transport it quite, quite a ways. Yeah. Hey, let's pause just a moment here, Chris. Talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Of course. Over there on uh, West Burnside, mm-hmm. where you're going to find, uh, obviously, the best steaks in town. Sure. In the state. Yep. In the region. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you can... You can choose to go dine there for a special occasion or any night. Or, of course, we have Prime Rib Mondays, which are really special, oh, which yeah. I just took advantage of last week, where you get a, a Prime Rib. So it's think. the three-course meal. You get the Prime Rib, you get the, the salad beforehand, some greens. Right. And you get the creme brulee. Yeah. But you can also, here's a lo- another thing, and that's only $39. Yeah. Oh, it's you can it's tell the great them, deal. Which I did. We want a few more ounces. You want it to be a little thicker, mm-hmm. and they'll do that. So if you want a little more, you can add some sides to it, and it's still a very reasonable experience. I always ringside. do the lobster mash upgrade. You got to do that. Oh, yeah. And then also, of course, go to ringsidesteakhouse.com and check out their happy hour menu, when it occurs, and how you go about it. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic, and you can go and have half off of lots of items on the bar menu. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. The Ringside Steakhouse Bar Burger yeah. is easily my favorite restaurant burger. Well, plus, or you can get the steak bites. Sure, you Forget could do the that bread as well, right? And just go right for the steak yeah. bites. There oh, you it's go. so good. Ringside, and also the best service in town. We just, on that prime rib night, mm-hmm. had uh, Colin, who was a really, really nice guy. So I've mentioned Andy and Angelica before, and so many great servers over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you want to really be taken care of, it's Ringside. Um, what did your and parents do? Uh, my dad is a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still still doing it? Yeah, he's about to retire, though. Oh, good. Yeah. So, um, and I would imagine he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of people he's been helping for years in a small town like that. Like, he knows everybody. 
Mm-hmm. That would be interesting to be a pharmacist because you know everybody pretty well and you know their intimate <laughs> facts. Um, yeah. I've thought about that when I go get my prescriptions filled. Yeah. Like, I this mean, guy knows a lot about me. Yeah, too much. <laughs> too much. And it's all online too. Yeah. Right? I don't know if you order them online. I do. Um, I get them text now. They're like, do you want to refill this? And you just go like, yes. And you go, I don't have to pick it up. They say like, do you want it delivered? So it's how amazing. much do you do via text? I'm just curious because you're, knowing that you're going to your 20th high school reunion. Just in general, um, like my, how much do I? Yeah. How much in life do you buy, do by text? Cause I'm like in a different generation. Oh yeah. So I prefer texting for me is a very near and dear. Mm-hmm. Don't make it a commercial thing. Yeah. I do a lot of texting, but I also recognize that sometimes texting is not the way to go. And a lot you, can be miscommunicated. You can you can figure out what you need to figure out in like a one minute phone call. Right. And especially when it comes to work stuff, it's like, just let's talk for two minutes and figure this out. Instead of this and waiting. And yeah. uh, and I, I firmly believe that um, nuance can be communicated way better yeah. on the phone than it does via text. And I, I've seen too many things blow up. Because of either text or emails when they could have mm-hmm. been a phone call. Just say, hey, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I meant this. And just get things, you get things done. Yeah. I also feel like we're in an era where we're, start of, we're starting to question some of the things that technology has given us. And question if it's really the best thing for our society. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we're not, we're not calling each other anymore. And there's more of an intimacy and connection to that. And I think that especially between my wife and I and the conversations we have, just that kind of miss that. I think there's, we're missing something there. Well, also face to face. It's too yeah. easy to just do this. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the bigger picture, you know, that we're all so attached to weird information now and spending time with that. Um, yeah. I think that's strange. Speaking of Montana, I always hearken back. I know this sounds weird, but the uh, Unabomber had a message. It, he didn't go about it in a in a in a really in a good way at all. But he had a message, and that was yeah. that technology is going to bring us down. And when I think of you know fake news now and mm-hmm. how we elect people, that's a little. I think he had he he had a point back there. I don't like the way he made it, of course. Yeah, I remember when all that was happening too, and you don't hear a lot of news coming out of Montana. So that was in a way one, right? I felt a, like a sort of pride that there was this news coming out of Montana, but then also <laughs> like, this is not something I should probably be like celebrating either. So what did people think in Mon- did Were people thinking, geez, we don't want this to be the Montana news. I don't know. Do you, there was also the Freeman. You remember that? Mm. There was like a militia and that was actually closer to where I was from, but I don't know how close that was to the Unibar, but it was in the 90s. Yeah, see, being on the East Coast, when I came out here and the documentary came out about Rajneesh Puram, mm-hmm. and seeing in that documentary, this was national news, yeah. I was wondering what I was doing then. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't. I barely remembered that happening. And everybody who lived in Oregon, it's near, they're, you know, they remember everything. Yeah. You know, the same way I remember the Mets w- winning the World Series. That was everything, but... I, from there, I didn't catch it. So the Freeman, no, I, I, yeah. I wouldn't even. If you asked me, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what it was all about. But uh, not the, not the greatest. What, what else came out of Montana other than all this incredible beauty? You know, when I first went to Glacier National Park, mm-hmm. it was like I discovered. You know, I'd seen the Grand Canyon, but Glacier was pretty awesome because you could go and be really far away from a lot of people because it took five hours to get there from Bozeman. Yeah, just to, to go there, but you could do it at a hundred miles an hour. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Did, they did, also there. There's. I got my driver's license right after they decided that not having a speed limit was maybe not the way to go. Were you bummed about that? And a little by bit. By the way, the speed limits were still crazy. Like 90, yeah, they're still right? like eighty. Oh, and, and in my it. part of the state, I mean, you can really cruise. There's just no traffic at all. Mm-hmm. And the know. cops are they are they cool out there with? I mean, with a hundred, do they, you know, it probably depends on how you do it. I don't know. I, I've been, um, I don't think I've ever, I've probably gotten pulled over for speeding once in North Dakota, but never in Montana. And how about Portland? Cause this is, how, what do you feel about the drivers here? Oh, I have a lot of opinions about the drivers here. Oh, let's but... hear those. I'm sorry. We didn't start <laughs> with that. 
Um, overall, I think I feel like the the driving in Portland is very cautious and <laughs> kind of passive. But I, I think, think if you know that, then you can kind of like, well, I'm going to be. It's a problem when you have two passive people driving, like at a stoplight or, or at a, yeah, a well, four way stop. Yeah, that's the classic Portlandia right, scene. Right. So I'm just like, well, I'm going to be the non passive guy, and then I'll just like, then it'll work out. Like it'll it'll work together. Not that I'm a an aggressive driver, but I just I know that I get a little annoyed. But you know, sometimes sometimes you see people driving that are like, do you are you aware that you're driving right no, now? No. So here, that's my perception that they're not. <laughs> They're not, they're, they have blinders on. Yeah. I know there are people listening going, you know, that's, they don't even realize it's them because when I say crazy drivers, they actually refer back to me, Yeah, you know, as the guy in the left lane who wants to move, who's behind them. Now, unlike the East coast, there's no light flashing here. Get out of my lane, please. But mm -hmm. I'm like, would you please, do you realize that you in the left lane and the center lane are going the exact same speed? One of you has to be aware yeah, and move, and they're just they're just looking straight ahead. They're in the, their own world. That's definitely a big peeve of mine, and yeah. probably just I. I didn't want to be on loan on this right now, this <laughs> minute. So thank you. And having just driven back from Seattle last night or yesterday, yeah, I I experienced a lot of that. Like, there's two open lanes right next to you. Why are you in this lane? So, is there a difference between Seattle drivers and Portland drivers? This is very uh, important to get to the bottom of this. Portland is slower. I think everything in Portland is just slower and more laid back. So, But I think that's changing when you have people moving here from lots of different places. And now you've got everybody's not quite as slow. So when you've got different speeds going on, then you yeah. clash and conflict. And then you've got bike lanes on top yeah. of it. And I find those great. They're great for bikers. I think good that they have. But I find it much more nerve-wracking as a driver to worry about taking a right turn. Yeah. In, in a way, you've never had to think about it before. I'm very, yeah, when driving the city, I'm very cautious about about that. And, like, I'm always, before I open my door on a street, you know, I'm, like, checking my mirrors to make sure there's no, no one on a bike. I'm taking right turn, just, like, triple-checking. Because, yeah, I don't want to... You know what I just read? I can't believe that we're actually talking about this, but it's funny. There's uh, there's a something called the Norwegian Door Open that is a thing that everybody learns in Norway. Mm -hmm. So to open your door in Norway, you don't take your left hand and just open it. You normally, you, t you open it with your, right, with your right hand. So you have to turn oh, and look yeah. to the left. This is a thing. And I didn't realize this. I just, you know, one of those great That's things, technologies that good for, but the people learn that at an early age mm -hmm. there and it's a thing. So, because there's so many more bikers yeah. there than, but there, we have enough bikers here where you have to worry about it. I've had my rear window whacked on a couple of times <laughs> because of those yeah. things. So, okay. What's going to be going on at the restaurant and the food cart that we should know about and how do people find you? Uh, well, our, we're celebrating our one year anniversary in the restaurant this Friday, which Congratulations. I think when this comes out, it'll, it'll pass. But um, yeah, thank you. And then we're opening a third location on Mississippi at the Pro Marketplace. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that just got, I just, um, the Oregonian just put out a little blurb about it. So. Do you have to do your own PR? Uh, we have a social media manager. And so I don't have to do much social media stuff. And I don't have, I don't have like a PR person, but they do. Well, how do you get that information out to Michael Russell or Eater? How, how does that happen? We did do a press release for that. So is that you? I did write that. Okay. <laughs> I just, I'm yeah, just curious about how all these tapping things into work. those communication skills. Exactly. Um, Are you a good press release writer? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, it got the, it, it had got, been a while since I read one. It accomplished the objective, right? You got, yeah. You got in the Oregonian. We did hire a PR company when we opened the restaurant and that was really helpful mm -hmm. just to help get the but word out. But you can't sustain that relationship? Um, I just, I don't think it was absolutely necessary. We did like a three month contract with them and by the time it was done, like the, re like the restaurant was off and running and it was like, I think we're, we're going to be good. So. so social media is the thing that you need on a sustainable, on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that how that works now. It used to be there was advertising and now. We advertise too. Like we'll, we're in some of the, you know, the tourist maps. Mm -hmm. the, the Portland downtown map. 
Um, we've done some radio advertising on um, Kink. Kink. There you go. Maybe. I can't think of the radio station. You might have. Let's sell right now, Court. <laughs> if you haven't you done it, rate you should be Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the weeklies. We throw an ad in there every once in a while. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm always of the impression that people think in Portland, it's if you are a food a restaurant or a food cart and you're advertising, it's kind of like taboo. It's not organic and these people need business. It's it's commercial, which yeah. we don't believe on this podcast. We have, we're happy well, to have sponsors. Well, for the most part... We didn't. We couldn't afford it in the early days, right? And now, in hindsight, I'm like, probably would have helped, but now we have a budget for it, and it's more just like, well, let's just. It's it's all about just having your name out there. Mm -hmm. I think making people think of you. Yeah, you can't assume that people are going to think of. They might love you. They want to go back, but there's so many things to think about. There's so many restaurants in Portland. It's crazy when you're asked. Oh, I should have mentioned that one, or we should have gone there. So it happens all the time. So speaking of going there, yeah, it's Friday. I'm, I'm in love. dot com, and then we're Friday. Uh, what's the Instagram handle? Fried egg love. Fried egg love. Because Friday I'm in love was too long, and we couldn't. It was and too long, and you can't use the <laughs> apostrophe is, either. Yeah, yeah. So we just did fried egg love, and um, you you mentioned our website. Uh, we're on Hawthorne. We're going to be on Mississippi soon. We're downtown, and. Everybody's welcome to come by and wish you a happy one-year anniversary, whether that passed or not. Yeah. Uh, a week or two ago from the point where people hear this. Yeah, absolutely. So, and wish you well. And then when does Thanks the food cart in at Prost open up? We're going to do a soft open next week. So, okay, uh, so you might be able to catch us. Yeah. And then by mid-February, we, we will be fully open. We're at 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. We're going to be open later there. Since That's exciting. Yeah. I think most people there do do very well. Yeah, um, I think it's one of the best pods in the city. So. Absolutely. Well, it's it's one of the few that are still where they were. Yeah, um, and that you can that if you knew it from way back, you can still expect it to be there when you go. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. Good. Well, we have to go somewhere now. So All thanks. Right. I really appreciate your coming, man. Thanks for having me, Chris. Nice meeting you, and you uh, we got to get down there for some uh, fried egg love. All right, we'll do so. We'll see you then. Thanks. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right